This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. This is Gordon Smith, and I'm interviewing Monsignor Joseph Shadle today on our program, Sons of Melchizedek. Welcome, Monsignor. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, Gordon. I'm glad to be with you. What, what uh, parish are you in here? What, what, I'm interviewing you in your office, but where are we? Well, uh, we are at St. Luke Catholic Church at uh, about 75th in Illinois on the north side of Indianapolis. I am the pastor here, and uh, I've been here this summer, be 11 years, pastor here at St. Luke. Tell us about some of the other assignments you've had over the years. You've, you started uh, south, didn't you? Well, before I was ordained, I was a teacher in some Catholic schools. In fact, I was a teacher at Holy Name School in Beach Grove, which is where I went to school. And then, interestingly enough, I was the principal at St. Rock Catholic School on the south side. Okay. So those my I grew up in Beach Grove and uh, six years principal at St. Rock. And that's kind of an interesting story. That would have been during the summer of uh, 72. And I was the first lay principal of a Catholic school here in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. In other words, prior to that, all of the principals, certainly in the elementary schools, were religious sisters. So that summer of 72, I took the job as principal at St. Rock Catholic School, stayed there six years. And for the first couple years, I was the only lay principal in the diocese. So I would go to principal's meetings, and it would be all the sisters and me. Probably Sisters of Providence, I would imagine. Well, uh, Sisters of Providence and Oldenburg Franciscan Sisters. All right. Mm -hmm. And then we did have Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet. In fact, the Sisters of St. Joseph were the ones who staffed St. Rock School uh, before I came there as lay principal and then with an all-lay staff. I see. And about how old were you at this time? Huh. I was 24 years old. So a young man. Yes. I wish you would have known me then because I knew everything. So that's what I did, you know, before I went to the, uh, went to the seminary. So what caused you at uh, age 24, 25 to make a, a life choice decision to go into the seminary? Well, you know, in thinking about my life and discerning what I would do with my life, one thing I really was attracted to was education and teaching. So I'd have to say early on when I thought about a religious vocation, I really was tending toward um, becoming a teaching brother. I I looked into the Holy Cross Brothers at Notre Dame, investigated the Christian Brothers, And at that time, those brothers' communities were exclusively involved in education. So I was kind of thinking in that direction. But after a while, that kind of waned and probably decided I would remain a layperson, probably get married, have a family, and so on down the road. Right. 
But I had been uh, the principal at St. Rock for six years. And actually what happened was I was thinking about, you know, I've been here six years. We've done wonderful things. Maybe it's time for me to, to move on. And so I began thinking about applying for other principals' jobs, which by that time had opened up. And I had a couple of friends. One of them is a priest. Another was a lady I knew very well. And seemingly to me, out of the clear blue sky, they said, have you ever thought being a pri- about being a priest? Well, yeah, off and on, but never seriously. And again, as I said, if I had any inkling of a religious vocation, I wanted to be a teaching brother. Right. But to be honest, when they said that, that was the spring of the year. And um, that was the spring of 78. I really couldn't get it off my mind. It almost became as an obsession. Why did they say that? What? Maybe I should think about this. Maybe I should discern in that direction. So what happened was, um, on that basis, I went and made an appointment with my parish pastor, and he directed me to the vocation director for the archdiocese, met with the vocation director for about an hour and talked about ins and outs. And by this time, I was 30 years old. And I remember being rather relieved after I met with the vocation director because I had decided on the basis of that, no, this isn't for me. I think I'll just go on and take another principal job. But again, I couldn't get it off my mind. Couldn't get it off my mind. Long story short, by uh, August of that year, I had decided I'm going to try it, give it a shot, and that's how I landed at St. Meinrad Seminary in the fall of 78. So back in the day, that would have been considered um, kind of a late vocation? Yes, yes, that was considered a late vocation in those days. That's where all the, the men went uh, times. They went back down to St. Meinrad. Right. And so you integrated right in with the other right. seminarians at, at St. Meinrad. When yeah. did you know at that point that you were going to stay on? Well, providentially, you know, I had gone to a Catholic uh, college. I went to um, Marion College at the time, now Marion University, and got a bachelor's degree in math. But at that time, as a matter of course, all of the students at Marion were required to take a certain number of philosophy and theology courses just to get your liberal arts degree. So I already had those prerequisites. So I entered the seminary, um, as I said, in the fall of 78. And I'll be honest with you, once I got there, after the first few days or so, I never, ever thought about leaving. Really? Immediately, I decided this is probably it. Not like anybody else. I had good days and bad days. But I never thought about leaving. Never thought about discerning out of the seminary. That's an amazing place. It's like something out of the the, uh, second century Mm -hmm. uh, to see the monks there and uh, Monte Cassino. Right. A, A wonderful place. Tell me a funny story about seminary. Were there pranks played, played or any? Um, oh, we played a lot of play? a lot of pranks. Um, this is my 40th year of priesthood. We're going to have uh, very soon. I'm going to St. Meinrad for our 40th reunion and reunite with a lot of my classmates. And uh, we had nicknames for everybody. We had uh, little pranks that we played on one another. We had a lot. I, I never laughed as much as I did as when I went to the seminary, those four years of seminary. We had a great time. Um, what were the challenges? Um, you said that you sort of resisted the call at first, uh, or it just hadn't occurred to you, but were there any challenges? What about your family, your siblings? 
My, my family was supportive, my siblings and my parents, uh, although they never, never pushed me. I think my mother was a little hesitant at the time because she had the idea that many young priests whom they knew uh, were, were lonely, and she didn't want her son to be lonely. So, but uh, certainly very supportive from, from day one. When I arrived at St. Meinrad, I, I was apprehensive about living in community, basically where most of the guys would be younger than I am, although there were some around my age. That turned out to be the least of my worries. And ironically, uh, having come from this educational background, the, the adjustment I had to make was being a student again. And having uh-huh. to hit the books, I wasn't on the other side of the desk. I wasn't the teacher. I was now the student. That was my challenge. But living in community and living at St. Meinrad uh, turned out to be not a major issue. Although another funny little thing, I learned the lesson of obedience early on. Uh, I'm a city boy, and when the prospect came of going to seminary, thinking of going to St. Meinrad in that very rural setting. Uh, wasn't especially appealing to me. So I asked the vocation director, could you ask the archbishop if I could go to another seminary, for example, St. Mary's in Cincinnati, which it was in an urban setting. Right. And that was the only reason I had never been to St. Mary's Cincinnati. He said, I'll talk to the archbishop. It was Archbishop Biscop at the time, George Biscop. And he came back and he said, well, I, I presented your uh, request to the archbishop and uh, Archbishop Biscop said, well, tell him he can go to St. Meinrad or he can just forget it. <laughs> there and then I decided I'm not going to ask for anything else in my priesthood, and I never have, and it's all worked out fine. And to be quite frank, I am so delighted I did go to St. Meinrad. It was a wonderful place, and as far as I can tell, continues to be a wonderful place. So certainly no regrets, although, again, adjusting to— um, living in a very rural place was a bit of a challenge. Sure. Uh, This is Gordon Smith, and I'm interviewing today Monsignor Joseph Schadel for our program, Sons of Melchizedek. Monsignor Schadel is a 40-year priest in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and his current assignment is at St. Luke Catholic Church at 75th and Illinois area. Monsignor Schadel, tell me what you value most about uh, the Catholic faith. I value most, obviously, the, um, the sacraments. I believe that Christ truly resides in the church. The church is his presence. We call it the mystical body of Christ. But it's the continuing presence of Christ on earth. And he um, shares himself with us through the seven sacraments. Now, paramount among those, obviously, for all Catholics, and certainly for me as a priest, is the Eucharist. The fact that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, I think, is um, a big drawing card for the Catholic Church. And if you read the lives of many of the saints, that's what attracted them to the Church, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and for that matter, in all the sacraments. Well, I want to personally thank you. A little story that I have is when we had the COVID shutdown a couple years ago, uh, there was only one parish that I was aware of that restored the Holy Eucharist um, uh, about, I remember the day, it was the 15th of May, I believe. Right. And I was here for that Mass, and um, it was quite a shock to many of the parishioners when everything got shut down. So thank you for that. We really appreciate that. 
So your favorite sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, are there any other sacraments that you prefer? How about confession? Uh, For myself or for others? Others, of course. (laughs) That's another sacrament that as a priest brings us— brings me great satisfaction that people will come into the confessional and pour their lives out and they're in need of healing. And and unlike a doctor, psychiatrist, analyst, or whatever, uh, through the sacrament of penance, we can actually offer them forgiveness of their sins. And that's one of the greatest things I think that we as priests are able to do. Make Christ present in the Eucharist and give his forgiveness. It's Christ that forgives sins in confession and to be able to speak for him and, and distribute that forgiveness through the grace of the church is, is a great privilege. Well, we thank you in acting in persona Christi for that. Uh, this is Gordon Smith, and we're talking to Monsignor Joseph Shadle today, and uh, this is the program is Sons of Melchizedek. Uh, we'll be right back. For a long time, we've been telling you that if you have an Echo Dot or other smart speaker device, you can hear Catholic Radio Indy simply by saying, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Just the other day, I did that, and Alexa was feeling a bit argumentative. I'll let you hear my conversation with her. Uh, Alexa, where are you? Here I am. What do you want? Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Now, just why would you want me to do that? Well, because we've got great programming 24 hours a day. Well, a lot of other radio stations have good programs, too. Yeah, but our programming talks about God and eternal salvation. I am very smart. I know almost everything about everything. But I do not know about God and salvation. Well, that's why people need Catholic Radio Indy. So, Alexa, do me a favor. Whenever anyone says, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy, just send them our way, would you? Yes, I will be happy to do that. In the meantime, I am going to do some research about that thing you called salvation. I wonder where I can find out more about that. Welcome back to Sons of Melchizedek. I'm talking to Monsignor Joseph Shadle today. This is Gordon Smith. And, uh, Monsignor, what is your favorite number one go-to prayer that you go to when you really feel the need? Well, obviously, I think my favorite, one of my favorite ways of praying is the liturgy of the hours, the breviary that we pray. Um, Not only because of the beautiful psalms and scriptures and writings that are particularly in the Office of Readings, for example, but one of the monks at St. Meinrad who taught our class emphasized You know, when you're praying the liturgy of the hours, you're praying with the whole church. The church around the world is praying these same prayers. And he went on to say, some of the psalms on a particular day or some of the readings, they're not going to be meaningful to you. But you need to think that they're probably going to be meaningful to somebody else. And uh, that's always stuck with me, to think that we're praying universally with the church so that's one of my favorite ways of praying. Obviously, the Mass. But I really value, too, praying before the Blessed Sacrament, just to be in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. So those are my uh, obviously part of my priestly routine. The other psalm I like to pray sometimes if uh, I'm uh, maybe having a rough day or need a little help, I, I love Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Well, that all comes around um, trusting in God's providence, I right. think. And um, we have a lot of people that uh, maybe some parishioners here or at other parishes, uh, some come to Mass and don't believe in God like they should. 
And some don't believe that the Holy Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I've heard as high as um, maybe 70% of, of people out there don't believe that. What can, what can we do in this year that we are approaching the Eucharistic revival to help encourage people to understand the, the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist and the importance of Jesus on the altar? Well, first of all, you know, I think if I have ever encountered anybody that says that he or she doesn't believe in God, I like to probe that a little bit. Why don't you believe in God? And uh, you get some interesting responses. Uh, some of them have had some personal experience where um, I wouldn't say they, they, they don't believe in God. I, I guess I want to say I think they're disappointed in God. God didn't respond to their need or their request or their prayer. So it's a little bit more like that. But but anyway, I think to engage somebody in conversation who says that he or she doesn't believe in God is the way to go. As far as Catholics believing in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, uh, I think it's a matter of uh, they've been poorly catechized. Nobody has ever explained to them that fundamental belief. Nobody has ever explained to them that to some degree it's, it's unexplainable. How does this happen? St. Thomas Aquinas gave it his best shot when he gave us the doctrine of transubstantiation, how the Eucharist uh, really actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. But they've been poorly catechized. And I would say, uh, quite frankly, not to be critical of others, but I think we as priests need to be very careful to celebrate the liturgy with great reverence and dignity. In other words, if you're haphazard about the liturgy, why would you expect anybody to believe that this is the body and blood of Christ? If you're rather haphazard or a little bit too informal, and why would they believe it? You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. You need to show respect. Yeah, to show respect. This is something entirely different. But again, I think people have been poorly catechized uh, through the years for lots of reasons. And uh, again, especially as we approach uh, this devotion to the Eucharist in the year, next year or two, to really try and preach on that, uh, I think is going to be a, a fundamental challenge for, for all of us who are tasked with preaching. Another personal antidote, when I come to Mass at St. Luke's, I feel like I'm in a Theology 101 class sometimes mm. because um, of the way that uh, the Eucharist is respected here, and um, just everything that you've done here, the statues and the placement of the tabernacle and other things that uh, might have been a little dicey for you to deal with, but certainly are appreciated by the parishioners. So thank you for that, and thank you for your vocation as well. This is Gordon Smith, and I'm with Monsignor Joseph Shadle today doing an interview for the Sons of Melchizedek program. What do you enjoy most about being a priest? Obviously, I think celebrating the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and preaching. And I just enjoy being with people and being with families. Um, we have the opportunity to enter into many family situations in joyous times, challenging times, sad times, and uh, to be part of that. Uh, it's, it's really one of the things, well, probably the thing that I enjoy most about being a priest to be able to enter into these relationships with people and and bring Christ and his church to them often at very key times in their in their lives. 
during the pandemic, uh, we had a lot of people that weren't able to come to Mass or enjoy the sacraments. In some parishes, they uh, would watch the Mass on TV or computer, figuring out how to project it up on their TV set. But not everybody has come back. How, how have they done here at St. Luke? Well, you're right. Not everybody has come back. And it's a real mystery. There are some people um, that were so regular, so regular, uh, and of all ages, uh, before the pandemic. But I haven't seen them since the pandemic. Um, I would say we're about 75% back really? to where we were before the pandemic. But that's not good enough. We need to get to be 100%. And if we're going to continue to be an evangelizing church, we should should be over 100%. Surely. Um, so I'm not, I'm not real sure. I think, um, I don't want to say that the bishops uh, should not have closed the churches. I think they probably didn't have much choice. But I guess I want to say in retrospect, uh, I'm not sure it was a good idea. But again, sometimes you're forced into putting a bad idea into, into, uh, into effect. And I say that because there are some people even yet today that will say, you know, well, we didn't make it to church, but we watched it on television. Um, as if they think it's kind of the same. It's not the same. No, and my response is, well, I'll tell you what. If you watch Jeopardy on TV and you know all the answers, do you get the money? Of course not. So if you think you're attending Mass on television, do you receive all the graces that you could receive in person? Well, of course not. Uh, you're, you're not going to Mass. You're watching Mass on TV. You're watching other people go to Mass on TV, but you're not really going to Mass. And again, I think when we were forced into this situation, um, many people thought that, uh, well, we really don't have to go to Mass. But although that's, that's always been the teaching of the church, you know, if there's a danger or if you're sick, uh, you, you shouldn't go to Mass, uh, pandemic or no pandemic. Right. But people got the false idea that watching it on TV was, was just as good. No, it's a, it's a distant cousin, that's right. for sure. Tell us about some of your other assignments. You went to Ritter for a while. Yes, my um, very first assignment was one year at St. Gabriel Parish in Connorsville. Oh. And then uh, we needed somebody to teach high school, so I went to St. Michael's Parish uh, five years there. And then I was six and a half years at uh, St. Monica Parish over here on Michigan Road. And then four and a half years at St. Malachi in Brownsburg. And simultaneous with that, uh, everybody gets two jobs, you know. I was at Cardinal Ritter High School for 12 years. The first five years, I was a teacher. I taught religion and algebra. And then for four years, I was the assistant principal. And the last three years, I was president of Cardinal Ritter. And uh, after the uh, time at Cardinal Ritter, uh, Archbishop Beekline, really a year or two before I left Cardinal Ritter, uh, asked me to be the vocation director. So I was vocation director for about three years. And then in uh, summer of 94, he appointed me as vicar general and moderator of the Curia. And I did that for 17 years. And along the line, I was at St. Malachi for a little bit. And then for 13 years was pastor at Holy Rosary the Italian parish downtown. Right. 
and Latin Mass there as well. Right. And then following that, um, Archbishop Beekline was uh, uh, assigned an auxiliary bishop, Bishop Coyne. The auxiliary bishop becomes vicar general, thank God. And um, I left vicar general's office and went to Rome for a sabbatical in uh, January, and that would have been a 2011. And then in July of 2011, I came here to St. Luke. I see. Now, tell me, the parishioners always like to be helpful, and there are things that they do that are helpful, but there's probably some things that you'd like them not to do as well. <laughs> what, what is helpful and what is not helpful out there in a the parish? You know, one of the most helpful things people do is witness for us priests uh, their devotion. For example, we have the Perpetual Adoration Chapel here, and I can come by here 24-7, anytime, morning, noon, or night, and there's a car or two in the parking lot. And I know some faithful person is in that chapel praying. Even during the pandemic, people would stay in their car and pull up right next to the church as close as they could get to the tabernacle. And that witness for a priest, certainly for me, is really energizing. Oh, sure, it, makes really, it, all it really makes a, a positive difference. Um, oh, what do people do? Um, I wrote about this in the bulletin a couple times. Um, I wish people would read signs, close <laughs> the door, turn off the light. I wish people would close the doors. Yes, this is a very nice area, Meridian Hills, but we really can't afford to air condition the parking lot. <laughs> uh, so just little things like that. Okay, good. Good answer. Um, you mentioned that you are the vocations director for a bit. Um, what can parents do to encourage their sons to have a vocation? Obviously, pray with them, witness to the faith. Um, I've got two or three boys in this parish, uh, be honest with you, that are considering a vocation. But they're not getting any support from home. And I, I, I mean that in the sense that their parents never come to Mass. Oh, but these boys tragic. are always always here when it's time for them to serve Mass. These are high school kids. But their parents never go to Mass. So I think it's by God's grace that they're even considering a vocation. So to witness to the faith, to pray with your children, uh, that's what my parents did. I still have a picture of my dad. Every night before he went to bed, I'd walk by their room, and he'd be kneeling on the floor saying his prayers. That, you know, said volumes to me about about his faith. Surely, amen. And then encourage your children simply just to be open to it. You know, I think it's, uh, oh, if, if a young person, say, for example, I want to be a, I want to be a doctor or a, um, uh, an engineer, I don't hear the parents saying, no, wait till you graduate from college and then think about what you want to do. But sometimes they'll do that with priesthood, you know. Well, you want to be a priest or religious, well, why don't you wait till you get out of college? And then that doesn't make any sense. Be open to it. Be open. Good answer there, yeah. Monsignor. Today we've been interviewing Monsignor Joseph Shadle of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, assigned to St. Luke Catholic Church right now. Thank you, Monsignor, for your time in this interview for the Sons of Melchizedek program. You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy.